Good morning, church. Please open your Bibles to Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 10. Before we get rocking, let's pray. Lord, truly, you are high and lifted up. Regardless of whether we ever sing the song, regardless of whether we ever acknowledge it in word or even deed, but we have come today to place ourselves under that anthem. You are greater than anything in this world, including us. And we thank you, Father, for how humble you have allowed your son to be in coming to this earth, as great as you are in becoming a servant, even to the point of serving us by dying on a cross. And we've come to celebrate that and remember that this morning as a family and allow it to mold and shape our lives. More than anything else, thank you for giving us Jesus. Thank you for the blood that was shed. Thank you for the resurrection that makes us even care whether his blood was shed or not. And thank you for the promised spirit that you sent to live within us. We celebrate all of that, but we're not the only ones who are doing that this morning. The Maranatha Christian Center is as well. And so we want to lift them up in prayer as they too are endeavoring to praise you, endeavoring to make you the focus of it of their time together. They do it during the week just like we do, but please bless their time of preaching and their time of sharing in the Lord's Supper and of singing great praises to you. Knit our hearts together with them along with all the other Jesus followers in our community. You promised the world would pay attention. You promised it would help them understand that you were sent and that it mattered. And that's our prayer this morning and everyone said, Amen. Have you ever heard a friend or a preacher say something like, when it comes to Christianity, I'm pro-Jesus, but I'm anti-religion. Well, I'm going to say that as far as the writers of the New Testament are concerned, especially Jesus, Jesus never had a problem with religion. What he had a problem with was bad religion. And so what I hear in comments like the one that I suggested as we started this message about religion, is really less to do with religion, but more to do with a personal experience with bad religion. See, the word religion comes from the Latin word re ligare. Re means again and again. Ligare means to bind or to connect. And so religion in its essence is man's efforts to try to bind or connect with God. So you have to know that, that any effort that we would make to truly do that, he would be thrilled with. And I hope you leave here this morning understanding he is. The greatest teacher of Christianity, the Apostle Paul, said to one of his students that he was mentoring, be on the lookout for men who teach about God claiming a form of religion, but denying its power. Paul says, be careful that you are tempted to buy into a religion that has forms, has disciplines, maybe even duties, but has little or no power to actually connect, to actually bind, to actually religion you to God. The truth is, some of you have experienced religion like that. Even worse, some of you have experienced religion that has had its forms and its disciplines, but has actually done more harm in your life 
maybe even brought evil into your life than good. I think when people are knocking religion, what they're really knocking is just that. The potential religion has to do more harm than good. Now, I personally believe that the experience of bad religion in Christianity is tied to two things. The first is this, an exclusive mindset. The second is an arrogant spirit. And I have to admit that I have been guilty of both. And I hate that about me. God tried to help me see that a few weeks back as someone in our church came up to me and said, Sportsman, you must be smarter than Einstein. I thought, well, I've never received a compliment like that. So I asked him, I said, well, why do you say that? And this person remarked, only ten people, it's been written, could ever understand Einstein. But brother, when you preach, nobody understands you. (laughs) Thanks, Paul Phipps. An arrogant and an exclusive mindset is what I think most people associate with bad religion, and so I get it. Bad religion deserves a bad rap. And to be more specific, religion is bad when it becomes greater than God. And no one made that truth more clear than Jesus himself. Because the fact is, Jesus criticized bad religion several times in his Gospels, As a matter of fact, he called the Jewish leaders responsible for it vipers and walking graves and blind guides. And history has proven that that's a moniker that they were worthy of. History has proved that they loved their religion so much they couldn't see their own Savior when he was literally within arm's reach of them. When when he sat down at table next to them. When he prayed with them. When he did miracles before them no man had ever done before. It is incredibly sobering to me that a human being can miss God in the flesh because their devotion to religion is greater than their devotion to the truth, even when it's right in front of their face. And so you find bits of conversations like this one in John 8, 53. Are you greater than our father Abraham? The religious leaders ask. He died and so did the prophets. Just who do you think you are? Translation, Jesus, you're acting greater than the founders of our own religion. What gives here? What right have you? Another one like it in John chapter 4 and verse 12 where a woman at the well asks, Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us this well and drank from it himself, and also his sons and flocks and herds? Are you greater than them? To which Jesus responded with both his words and his life, I am. Here was the problem. Jesus threatened how these people had always tried to connect with God, and they resented him for it. In fact, Jesus set himself up for much of this criticism by some of the things he said. Listen to this one from Matthew 12 and verse 6. This is bold. Jesus said, I tell you something greater than the temple is here. Now, those are fighting words if you were a Jew in his day. Because the temple and Moses were the foundation of Israel's faith. They were the epicenter of their religion. And Jesus says, I'm greater than either one of them. And they killed him for such statements. Which is ironic. At how their irreligious actions could defend their religion. It won't be the last time that it happens. Hasn't it been amazing in your lifetime how Jesus' followers can be quick to justify clearly ungodly behaviors over what we deem to be 
differences in religious beliefs. It has been in mine. But the purpose of this sermon is not to bash your religion. It's not to bash anybody else's religion. But it is to do hopefully one thing. Obliterate any religious pride any of us has that walked in with us this morning. Religion has its place. But only as long as God is greater than my religion. And here's three ways that I hope that we can make that true in our lives as we live them out here in Kerrville, Texas. The first is this. God has to be greater than our theology. Has to be. Theology sounds like you need a college degree to understand what it is, but you don't. Theology is simply this. It's a study of God. The study of God. That's what Brian's doing. That's what Brittany's doing. That's what all of us really are doing on some level because you're here this morning. We're wanting to know more about him. Who in the world, though, would have the audacity to claim that they're an expert in that field? (laughs) I get it. If you claim you're an expert in quantum physics or economics or medicine or law, but who would dare to set themselves apart as an expert in God? The prophet Isaiah warns this. Actually, it's God through the prophet Isaiah who's doing the warning. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than yours. So are my thoughts higher than your thoughts. He'll try to say the same thing through the Apostle Paul in Romans eleven thirty three, 33, where he says, How great are God's riches in wisdom and knowledge. How impossible it is for us to understand his decisions and his ways. For who can know the Lord's thoughts? Answer? Nobody. Now, that's not to discourage any of us from wanting to pursue a knowledge of God. It can't be. What Paul's critical of, though, is the arrogance again and the exclusive mindset of some people who who claim to know they have ultimate knowledge of God. They're the authority. They're the experts. You see, sadly, we've divided the body of Christ over just this theology. When God never wrote a systematic theology in his eternity, men did that. But God is greater than Calvinism. And God is greater than Arminianism. And God is greater than dispensationalism or whatever other isms and theologies that have divided the body of Christ. In a nutshell, there's a difference between God and who he is and all that he is and what we know of who he is. And what we think of all that he is. And we always have to keep that in our hearts and our minds. You've heard the old joke What's the difference between God and the owner of the Cowboys, Jerry Jones? The difference is God doesn't think he's Jerry Jones. Some of you will get that at dessert today. In my time as a preacher, I have had many conversations with people who believe that if I disagree with them, I'm disagreeing with God. I know there's a difference. Neither your understanding nor mine is the same as God's understanding of himself. And if we all believe that to our core, I have to believe there'd be a lot more humility flowing in all of the churches among us. That I could actually use a little bit more enlightenment than the theology I already have right now. And that's hard for every one of you to believe. Some of you actually believe that you're at your A game right now when really you're just at getting started That's including me. I am far from having God figured out. And I hope you believe the same. As a matter of fact, I'm so much like Peter in this. You remember in Acts chapter 10, Peter's up on the roof and God gives him a vision three times and says, I want you to take and eat some of this stuff. And he says, no way, God. (laughs) 
His religion has deemed all of that stuff off limits. Three times God says, Peter, I want you to eat of this food. And Peter says, no, it would violate my religion. I can't obey you. Now, is that messed up or what? What Peter had to understand was that God was greater than his religion. And I do too. But I wonder how much I'm willing to have my theological blindness revealed. It's always uncomfortable. 20 years ago, I wrote in my Bible a question that Rick Ashley gives credit to having come from Greg Cummings. Greg Cummings gives credit to it coming from one of his mentors, Bill Smith. I really don't care who it came from. I just love the wisdom in it. Here it is. Is it truth that drives me? Or fear that I might have been wrong so long? Is it truth that drives me? Or fear that I might have been wrong so long? In 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 12, Paul says, Now, we see things imperfectly, like puzzling reflections in a mirror. But then, then we will see everything perfect with perfect clarity. All that I know now is partial and it's incomplete. But, oh, but then, I will know everything completely just as God knows me completely. While I was being raised in our, in our heritage, in our family, I was taught that was the Bible he was referring to. I've been doing this for a while now. I don't think we've made the then yet. I, I still think it's kind of cloudy. I still think it's kind of fuzzy some of the things that, that God's called us to do and we... we are aiming at trying to get them right, but having gotten them right, I don't think so. I think that then is when Jesus Christ comes. I think then we'll know in full. I think we'll then know in perfection. But just because God put together the Bible for us to be able to have and use to be able to know him and to share him, I think that was a swing and a miss. See, it's possible to know much about God, but to not know him. Have you experienced that? Have you, have you seen that only, not only in others but in yourself? I, I saw it in myself a couple of weekends back. I've mentioned a couple of times since we've been back from that, but we, we got away for just a couple of days to a little ranch in north of Mason. Um, did I mention that we're going to be having a grandbaby? <laughs> you might hear that once or twice between now and December. But while we were there, I took my son-in-law's turkey hunting in the mornings. Then I'd work from the morning until late in the afternoon on, on my lessons for these series. So we needed some time just to kind of get a, a big picture of all of them. And then we go turkey hunting in the evening. Well, one morning I got up and I was with my son-in-law, Travis. And we had gotten up at that time just when it starts to become gray light and starts to turn light. And it's in that in-between zone. Of, and we were just sitting there. And at first I didn't hear it and I didn't see it. What I didn't hear was the roar of a river 40 feet out of its banks. It's amazing. What I didn't see was the rising of the sun afresh after a rain. What I didn't hear were the sounds of gobblers, even though we were hunting them. I really just, I didn't hear them. I heard, I heard them, but I didn't hear them. See, I was chewing on something I'd heard in a podcast, and I was sitting there 
waiting for legal shooting light to come. And it was almost as if God nudged me and said, you know, that stuff you're thinking about can wait. All that stuff you're trying to worry over about what to say about me, how about if you just observed me for a little while, okay? And so I did. I heard the roar of a river 40 feet out of its banks. And I heard those gobblers and the other birds and insects coming alive. And I saw the sun fresh after a rain. And it was just amazing. And I said, oh God, how often have I worried so much about what I'm going to say about you and not just enjoyed you and marveled at you. How many times have men had thoughts about God but stood in the way of God? Yes, we should try as much as we can to grow. Yes, we should try to know as much as we can know. But please know this. Who I know matters more than what I know. Amen? Who we know matters more. Because we all have flawed theology. God has no other choice but to use people with flawed theology. Because none of us have God completely figured out. Now, why is this so important? Because I think if we have a little bit more theological humility, we'll have a lot more unity in the body of Christ. God is greater than my theology, number one. He's also greater than my fellowship of believers. You could put in their church. You could put in their um, congregation. You could put in their brotherhood. In every age, there has always been among God's people at least a small group to believe that they were the sum of God's people. We have looked on several occasions at the story of Mark chapter 9 where Jesus' disciples saw a man, not of their own group, doing a great work in the name of Jesus. And John comes to Jesus and says, Jesus, you're not going to believe this, but we saw someone using your name to drive out demons, but we told him to stop because he wasn't in our group. And Jesus says, don't tell him to stop. No one performs a miracle in my name will soon be able to speak ill of me. Listen, watch my lips, John. Anyone who is not against us is for us. Whoever is not against us is for us. It's amazing to me that Jesus in just his short time on the earth and Jesus the number of times he's given in a, in a couple of pages in a book somewhere makes it clear no group, no congregation, no fellowship has a monopoly on God. Now this has huge implications for this specific congregation. I heard a quote from Dallas Willard this week that said, well let me tell you this, I'd never heard this before until this week. But it made me smile like God was underscoring what we're doing here this week. Here's the quote. One of the most important spiritual disciplines a pastor can practice is to pray for other churches in your city. And I had to smile because that's not new to us. For years we've been praying for other church families. For years. And if that quote doesn't underscore the validity of it, then I hope this story does. Got a phone call two weeks ago. Just shared this with the elders the other day. It was from Stephen Countryman from the Clifton Church of Christ. He called to say that two of his elders were here in attendance at KCC when the church prayed for one of our local churches here at the beginning of the service. And he said his elders were deeply, deeply touched by that. He said, you probably don't know this, but at, here in Clifton, we're joining forces with several other local congregations to serve and to worship together one day a year. I said, that's amazing. He said, but we want to consider praying for a church in our community. Could you tell us a little bit how you do that and, and how often you do that? And, and we had a conversation about all of that. 
I don't know how you hear that, but it just gives me hope. Hope. Because that's just the tip of the iceberg of, of our efforts here at being one with other believers and followers of Jesus Christ in our community. Our, our VBS times, we get together with other churches to work on our sets because we all have the same theme VBS that we do. We just do it in different places. And so we work on the sets and so we use them one week and then the Presbyterians use it one week and then somebody else uses it the next week. That's been amazing. BSF meets here every Monday, most Mondays of the year. And that's not a church of Christ idea. That really came out of the Baptist movement, but it's really for the body of Christ. And they come from all walks of Christ to study the Word of God here. And we love that. And we're building a home right now, a Habitat for Humanity house with, with Impact Church, because we believe at the core of our DNA as a church that we have more in common with those brothers and sisters out there than we ever had differences over. We believe that, and we're living it. And I hope you're encouraged by that because that's just some news coming back about your influence. I think in Mark chapter 9, Jesus says, good job. This fellowship believes that where there's a church that honors Jesus and preaches from the Bible, whether their theology lines up with ours or not, if they're attempting to lift up Christ, we lift them up when we get together to pray. One of my favorite stories about Stephen Jobs comes around 1997 when, when actually Apple was cratering on the verge of bankruptcy. It's no secret that he and the founder of Microsoft, Bill Gates, had never had a very good relationship, and you can understand why. But Bill Gates loaned Apple $150 million to stay solvent. Jobs writes in his memoirs that they became collaborators and friends that day. I love what Bill Gates had to say in a Time Magazine interview when he said, we had to understand that it wasn't necessary for Apple to lose in order for Microsoft to win. We felt that, haven't we, though? Another congregation's loss was going to be our gain. We don't ever want to go back there. I hope that's how we can feel about different fellowships pursuing Jesus Christ because God loves unity over uniformity. He always has. And he gives us the illustration of our own bodies to, to forever have that image in front of us. And look at your own body, all the different parts of it. When you look in the mirror and you see the nose and the eyes and the ears, how different they are, but how awesome it is when they work together. And the same thing we're finding out is true of Christ. Can I remind you how different the body of Christ is? Let me give you a couple of, I think, kind of cute illustrations. They come with this question. How do you change a light bulb? Charismatics do it. And it takes just one. Because they already have their hands up in the air anyways. Catholics don't take any. Because they don't use light bulbs. They use candles. Baptists, it takes at least 100. One to change the light bulb and 98 to form a committee to approve the change. And then one to bring the casserole. Presbyterians, it takes zero. God has already predestined when the lights are going to come on and go off. The Pentecostals, it takes 10. One to change the light bulb and nine to pray against the spirit of darkness. I love that one. It takes 10 Methodists to change the light bulb. One to change the bulb and nine to attack the preacher because somebody's grandmother donated that bulb to the church. Amish, none. 
They just ask, what's a light bulb? And finally, how many members of the Church of Christ does it take to change a light bulb? Answer, change! <laughs> no, we're not uniform. But we can be unified. And God has used different parts of the body to bring reminders of that to us every week. We need high church congregations to remind us of the reverence that God deserves. We need charismatic churches to remind us that God is a God of passion and desires both to be worshipped with truth, yes, but also spirit. And we need Calvinists to remind us God is sovereign. Nothing is outside his will. And we need the Armenians to remind us that we will always have responsibilities for our choices. Always. All of this makes it all right to be grateful for your particular religious heritage. I am for mine. Whatever it is, find your identity in the gospel, not in your group. And when we do, I think we're going to be amazed that no group is the sole possessor of the truth or the spirit or God's favor. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 3, Paul says it this way. Please understand, nobody can say, Jesus is Lord, and it be authentic, except by the Holy Spirit. Something's going on greater than our religion, than our efforts to try to connect with God. I think when we get to heaven, God is going to just bowl every single one of us over with how many different things he got done through so many different people that we had written off as out of his favor. Remember Paul's dream? I'm sorry, Peter's dream? He finally does go into the Gentiles' home. He finally does enter. He finally does eat with them some of that forbidden food. And then he shares the gospel with them. And the Gentiles have the Holy Spirit fall on them. Now, that's not shocking to us, but I promise you, it was stunning to the Jews. Why would the Holy Spirit do that? Because the Holy Spirit doesn't need the church's permission to do what he wants to do. Peter gets called on the carpet by good religious folks when he gets back home. And in that meeting in Acts chapter 11, he says, guys, if God gave them the same gift... As he gave us who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to think I could stand in his way? You can't. He's God. And God will use whom he chooses. And so our allegiance to his name should trump our fondness of our names, I hope. Number three, God's greater than our theology. He's greater than our fellowships. He's greater than our brotherhoods, our churches. And number three, he is greater than our righteousness. This one may be the most dangerous of all when it comes to religion. And that is promoting the arrogant perception that the way I do my religion as compared to the way you do yours is what makes me right with God and not you. Paul would say that kind of religion needs to be thrown in the garbage. Now, don't take my word for that because that's kind of harsh. Listen to his. If there was ever an example of the number one draft pick for religion, it would have to be Saul of Tarsus. Now, he got a new name when he became a Christian, when he became a follower. Those people he tried to actually just flush out, snub out from existing at all. 
His pedigree was second to none. His granddaddy was a religious all-star. His daddy was a religious all-star. And he himself was a Heisman Trophy religious leader. He'll tell you, I was a Pharisee of Pharisees. Second to none. He was the lottery pick of his day, hands down, when it came to religion. But his eyes were opened one day when his eyes were blinded by perfect righteousness. Jesus himself. And everything he thought he knew about religion, he said, went in the garbage. Enough of me. Let's read his words. All my religious credentials, all of them, I tore up and I threw out in the trash along with everything else that I used to take credit for. And why? Because of Christ. Yes, all the things I once thought were so important are gone from my life compared to the high privilege of knowing Jesus Christ as my master. Everything that I once thought I had going for me is insignificant. It's dog dung. I've dumped it all in the trash so that I could embrace Christ and be embraced by him. I didn't want some petty, inferior brand of righteousness that comes from keeping a list of rules. No. Not when I could get the robust kind that comes from trusting Christ. Brother, listen to what Paul is saying. Christ is not just greater than me at my worst. Christ is far greater than my righteousness at its best. Far greater. In 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 21, Paul says, God made him who knew no sin to be my righteousness. So that in him, not my theology, in him, not my group, in him, not anything else, especially my own efforts to be right with him, would I be righteous before God. God really is greater than my religion. Greater than my efforts to connect with him. And we would remember that, I think. If we would remember that, I think. It just might be for our kids and grandkids. Following Christ would be a lot less complicated. Have you been involved in this walk with Christ long enough to feel how complicated it can be at times? How difficult it seems like we make it on each other? It's been refreshing to go through Andy Stanley's book, Irresistible, to have that kind of meted out for me, filtered out. Because Jesus didn't come to, to make it complicated. Demanding, yes, but complicated, no. Here's what he tried to do on the very last night with his disciples. If, if, you, if you don't remember anything else, guys, can I remind you of this? Uh, we're just going to nail it down, knowing the brightness of this group, we're going to nail it down to one commandment, not two. Just one. Brand new one. I want you to love each other like I've loved you. That's what I want you to do. I want you, if you're looking for something to do, I want you to love each other like I've loved you. Matthew? When you were sitting at your tax, tax collector's table and everybody despised you and really hated you, and I asked you to come along with me, that's how I want you to love other people. That's how I want, Nathaniel, when you came and came, became a part of the group there and, 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 and you, you made comments about what in the world good could come out of Nazareth, hey, that was dishing on my peeps, my family. And I said, you come and be a part of me. I want you to love people like that. And Peter, I know we, we're talking about it tonight, but you deny me three times, that's going to happen in the future. 
And when you do, do you remember what it's like to be denied by somebody, be rejected? And at the moment you need them most, they hit the back door. And I'm going to love you back in. That's how I want you to love people. By this, everyone will know that you're mine. That's our brand. That's how we roll. That's how, that's how the world's going to know you're a Jesus follower. Listen to me, kids. If you are under 18 years old, if we ever do anything to complicate that, just don't pay attention. Jesus said, here's my brand. Here's how we roll. Here's what I'm expecting of you. Those who are your, my disciples will have this moniker about them. They will love people like I've loved you. That's it. That's what's pleasing to God. We say that about our community. God, may this be pleasing to you how we take this Lord's Supper. We're fine. The cross made us fine. What he's worried about is, do you have something against your brother two aisles over? If so, put the cracker down and go hug his neck and make that right first. That's mattering more than you being right with me. Yeah, but it's not as easy. No, it's not. But don't make this little supper thing more important than you being right with your brother. Love each other as I have loved you. By this, everyone will know that you're one of mine. It will be the trademark of our new way. Complicated? No. Demanding? Absolutely. Now, it's a little tense, so I'll tell a little joke. Here we go. Little boy's dad had a Ph.D. in mechanical engineering from Stanford, and one day he says to his mom, what time is it? She doesn't have a watch on or a cell phone. She says, go ask your dad. He says, never mind, I don't want to know how a watch is made. I just want to know what time it is. <laughs> I feel like I've done that sometimes to this religion, this way in which I'm trying to connect with God and teach others to do so. I wonder if sometimes we've been guilty of that, making it so complicated. Again, hear Paul's words about love. 1 Corinthians 13. He says, if your religion is marked by preaching which is eloquent, more eloquent than any human being, and more passionate than any angel, but you don't have love, listen to me, it means nothing to me. If your religion is marked by mountain-moving faith, but it lacks love, it means nothing to me. If your religion moves you to give all that you have to the poor, even to be martyred for your faith, but you don't love each other, read my lips, it means nothing to me. Many of you remember Mr. Rogers, especially with the release of the movie Won't You Be My Neighbor this last year. He taught children for years how to be kind to their neighbors, how to love people. You may not have known he was an ordained Presbyterian minister, but he is. And he will tell you that the man that most impacted his life was a seminary professor by the name of Dr. Bill Orr. He said there was a day when Mr. Orr was teaching us in class, and we just got finished, and he left, took his big heavy coat, and walked out the door. And I remember that because when he came back in, I noticed he didn't have the big heavy coat, and he was shivering. And so I asked him, I said, Dr. Orr, what happened to your coat? said, I saw someone who needed it more than I did. Besides, I think I have one at home. Just like it. 
When religion is wrong on love, it is never right with anything else. When religion is wrong on love, it is not right with anything. That's what the brother of Jesus was trying to impress upon our group that Scooty read a few moments before I started. It came from Jesus' own brother. And then it made its way into the New Testament because some of the things he said in that letter were so profound and so much like his brother. Here's one of the things he wrote there. Those who consider themselves religious and yet don't keep a tight rein on their tongues, they're just deceiving themselves because their religion is worthless. Religion that our Father accepts as pure and faultless is just this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. I think I can nutshell that in one little sentence. Good religion will do somebody some good. Good religion will do somebody some good. And so on the smallest scale, I just want to say this this morning. If you, if you value your religion, you can be sure that your religion is good only if God is greater. Father in heaven, we love you. And we thank you for the ways in which people have mentored us in connecting with you. And we, we've learned from them. And we want to learn more. And where we've missed it on some of those ways, we want, want to let those things go. So that we can better connect people who don't know you at all to you. And so that we <laughs> will not live such uptight lives. So anxious, so worried over so many things that we've called important to you that really aren't. Help us to discern what those are. As a family, you've, you've invited us to open this word in community, and so we're going to do that as a family. But would you help us have a, an attitude of humility that it's just our perception we bring to the table and not the perception? And Father, I just pray as we endeavor to do something even more demanding, and that is to do that with other fellowships in our community. Would you please help us do so with an anticipation of you moving and working in ways that you've never done before? We're already beginning to see it, and we're loving it. May that tribe increase. We ask you this morning, if you brought someone here today who, who's been hurt by religion, it's harmed them, maybe even it's been evil to them, would you help them to know that this is a fellowship of people who truly are trying to be like Christ? And so are some others. And, and Father, if there's other groups out there who are doing a better job of leading ordinary people into an extraordinary relationship with your son... Put them there. But if we can help them, if they can connect with us, and they're believers in Christ, then we want them to, to, to join this fellowship. But Father, even more so, if you've brought someone here today who says, that's the Jesus I've been after, and if this body of people is pursuing that kind of religion, I want to be a part of this. And Father, I pray that you stir them up to come and be immersed in Jesus' name today, to have their sins washed away and have the power of the Holy Spirit come and live in part of their lives. Father, we, we're asking for courage for all of us to respond this morning, to believe that you are greater than religion. And we ask this in Jesus' name. And everybody said.
Let's stand and let's praise him, church.